This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. You are listening to Dustin Gold right here on pain.tv slash gold. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's finish this up here. It goes on to say Gunnar uh, Mirdal wrote in The American Dilemma. This is in 1944. His influential study of race relations, quote, a handful of social and biological scientists over the last 50 years have gradually forced informed people to give up some of the more blatant of our biological errors. But there still must be other countless errors of the same sort that no living man can yet detect because of the fog within within which our type of Western culture envelopes us. End quote. Midrell knew whereof he spoke. He and his wife Alva were eugenicists who promoted an expansion of Swedish eugenic sterilization laws during and after World War II. More than 60,000 Swedes, and over 90% of them women, were sterilized from 1941 to 1975. The Mirdrell's eugenics disavowed racism but because it was deemed quote part of the scientifically oriented planning of the new welfare state end quote they did not see sterilization of the unfit as a quote biological error end quote well there you go folks planning of the new welfare state which is kill off the unfit these are the people that want to run your lives murderers literal murderers ladies and gentlemen Can't they just leave us alone? How about a system of leave us alone? No, it's a system of total control, the complete opposite of leave us alone. It goes on to say the hubris of progressive era eugenics was twofold. First, the naive faith that science would prove a cure-all for social ills, which led to overreaching by eugenicists and those social scientists who appealed their authority, and second, the naive faith that the state, as guided by experts, would prove to be the best guarantor of human biological progress, a faith Marjorie in 1944 avowed in his valedictory to the American dilemma, quote, we have today in social science a greater faith in the improvability of man and society than we have ever had since the Enlightenment. One more time, folks, we have today in social science a greater faith in the improvability of man and society than we have ever had since the Enlightenment. And that's very important because he's talking about man and society. And so technocracy is there to control society. Eugenics is there to control man. And I told you that they will never be happy. The technologists, the scientists, the engineers will never be happy. See, it says, faith in the improvability, 
That is because they deem us to be inefficient, and we will never be perfect in their eyes. They want to play God. They want to shape and form everything into their vision of perfection. And their vision of perfection is complete and total control. Control over the physical world, control over the systems of government, the system of control, control over the biology, that is the plants, the animals, and us humans, and now control over the digital world. So it is the fusion of the biological, the digital, and the physical that make up the force industrial revolution. As Klaus Schwab and Yuval Noah Harari and Elon Musk and the rest of these folks work to further push us into a state of total control, there is no way, no how, that anyone could ever say that the tenets of technocracy died with FDR's New Deal, or that the tenets of eugenics died with Adolf Hitler, or that MK Ultra died when Sidney Gottlieb shut down the program in 1964. We have proven on this show that eugenics is alive and well, technocracy is here it is all around us. It is our culture. People do not reject the technology that is turning them into slaves of the system, prisoners in this system of social control. Eugenics obviously did not die. It's alive and well in transhumanism. MKUltra is alive and well in the psychedelics that the government is beginning to roll out. Uh, I just saw a quote someone sent me the other day that in Canada, there's talks of giving people who refuse to get the vaccine, you know, psychological medications to treat them like they're crazy. So if you don't play along with the high school theater production, you, in fact, are nuts. If you won't jab yourself up with the death juice, you are the crazy one. See, this is technocracy. This is around us. It's a system of total control. Uh, let's go into... This article I found, because this was pretty good. I want to give this guy credit. This is J.P. Green with an E at the end. So it's J.P., J-A-Y-P, Green, G-R-E-E-N-E dot com. And this is J.P. Green's blog with help some from some friends. And this was a little article he wrote, Eugenics, a case study of the dangers of technocracy. So I wanted to give this guy a plug because I thought this was pretty good. So let me just run through this. It says... Technocracy is the belief that government should be run by experts with policies shaped by scientific evidence. Advocates of technocracy have little enthusiasm for people making decisions about their own lives or those of their children because people too often choose the wrong thing. Experts, guided by evidence, are much better situated to shape people's decisions so that they work best for themselves and others. And let me just say, when they shape the decisions, that is the social engineering, whether using a problem-reaction-solution loop or whether taking hold of publicly traded companies and then having them promote wokeness and other things of that nature, uh, utilizing propaganda, utilizing mind control. All this stuff comes together, folks. And this is how they socially engineer society without having to really force people at gunpoint. Although for some of us, there is always the threat that if you push back too much, if you question the government a little too often, then they will come to you at gunpoint. They will come to you through the IRS. They will come to you with the police. So that is also social engineering by perceived force. 
It goes on to say technocracy rose to prominence during the progressive era, but it has hardly lost its appeal to elites since then. It is clearly the dominant mode of thought among education policy experts. In fact, at the most recent annual conference of the Association for Education Finance and Policy, attendees wore buttons declaring the creed, quote, evidence-based, end quote. Let's leave aside that a pending, quote, based, end quote, to evidence, quote, end quote, seems to negate what is modifying the, quote, natural flavoring, end quote, or, quote, based on a true story, end quote. And let's acknowledge that evidence is, of course, extremely useful for making good decisions. But the motivation behind this button and the thinking that pervades education experts is that policy should be, quote, based, end quote, on evidence, not merely informed by it. Evidence is the foundation. Technocracy should rule. Very important, folks. It's like, trust the science. Trust the science. Well, what science? Well, we are the guys who control science. So if we tell you to take the vaccine, you just have to accept that. And you have to trust the science because we're the science and we tell you to take the vaccine. Right? That's how they force you into it. That's how they engineer you into that decision-making process. Goes on to say, to repeat, evidence is a good thing. But claims about what the evidence really says are often in dispute. And science is a very limited and imperfect uh, enterprise. So to be ruled by evidence rather than informed by it is extremely dangerous. Consider the example of eugenics, which is, quote, the science of improving a human population by controlled breeding to increase the occurrence of desirable her, uh, heritable characteristics, end quote. Eugenics is now considered thoroughly disreputable, but for several decades, it was the consensus approach of our scientific elite. Its science was widely respected, and its practices and policy recommendations were, quote, evidence-based, end quote. Uh, and I would say that, no, it is not gone, it's not discredited, it's alive and well through transhumanism. It's a little too easy to dismiss eugenics as a horrible error of our pre-scientific past. For several decades, it was the scientific present of the most respected elites. As Saul Gittleman put it, quote, the presidents of MIT, Stanford, Cornell, and Harvard all supported eugenics research. And as early as 1914, academic courses on the subject were taught at Harvard, Columbia, Cornell, Brown, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Clark, and MIT. Presidents Theodore Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson, meanwhile, spoke openly and wrote freely about, quote, racial suicide, end quote, their term for what would happen if the nation permitted the mixing of races, end quote. While laws against the, quote, mixing of races, end quote, had been introduced during slavery, a flurry of new laws were adopted as a result of this scientific inquiry into eugenics, such as that 41 of the then 48 states eventually had such laws in place. You could say that these laws were, quote, evidence-based, end quote. In addition, laws calling for the forced sterilization of people deemed to be, quote, feeble-minded, end quote, were adopted and ultimately upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court. Chief Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes famously declared in his decision, quote, three generations of imbeciles are enough, end quote. This ruling by the Supreme Court was also considered, quote, evidence-based, end quote. This is fascinating. I think this gentleman did a very good job of summing up everything that we just covered. And so it's, it's a great... 
uh, bookend to what we've done over the last two episodes. So when I get back from this break, I'm going to finish this up for you uh, and giving credit here again to J.P. Green. I think you did a fantastic job, sir. So I wanted to feature this article instead of spending, you know, three episodes breaking down uh, more term papers that cover the same stuff. So let me finish this when we get back and then we will uh, check out of here, folks. That'll be it. And I'll see if I can put out another episode tonight with finishing up birth without violence. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. Thank you for joining us here on Sunday evening, Monday morning. You are listening to pain.tv slash gold. All right, let's continue with this piece by J.P. Green. Again, you can find his work at jpgreen.com. It says, during World War II, President Franklin Roosevelt organized a secret committee to consider what to do with the large number of war refugees, especially Jews, who he expected to flee Europe after the war. Roosevelt asked Alice I can't even pronounce that, folks. Curator of Physical Anthropology at the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History to head this secret planning group. It's worth quoting Steve Ustin's account of this episode at length. It says, The two men had carried on a lively correspondence for over a decade, talking about Roosevelt and Alice Heidrechlichlushnakla. The two men had carried on a lively correspondence for over a decade, and the president had absorbed the scientist theories about racial mixtures and eugenics. Roosevelt, the scion of two families that considered themselves American aristocrats, was especially attracted to Heidrichla's notions of human racial stock. A prominent public intellectual who had dominated American physical anthropology for decades, Hydra was convinced of the superiority of the white race and obsessed with racial identity. Shortly after the Pearl Harbor attack, he'd written to Roosevelt expressing the view that the quote, less developed skulls, end quote, of Japanese were proof that they were innately warlike and had a lower level of evolutionary development than other races. The president wrote back asking whether the, quote, Japanese problem, end quote, could be solved through mass interbreeding. All right, so uh, when they're pointing their finger at you from the left, calling you a racist, (laughs) calling you a white supremacist, calling you a white nationalist, ask them to go back and take a look at their uh, hero, President Franklin Roosevelt's correspondence with uh, Elise Heidrichla uh, about what they thought 
about other races outside of the white race. So feel free to point them in the direction of FDR, who also happens to be the guy who implemented the major tenets of technocracy through the New Deal, especially branding every man, woman, and child with a social security number, which they needed. They needed that in order to make their energy certificate-based system work the system of the science of social engineering technocracy goes on to say roosevelt had long resisted opening the doors to large numbers of immigrants not as a result of political expediency but based on his understanding of what science had to say on the matter in 1925 roosevelt had written a series of columns for the macone telegraph in which he praised canada's immigration policies which were designed quote to prevent large groups of foreign born from congregating in any one locality if 25 years ago the united states had adopted a policy of this kind we would not have the huge foreign sections which exist in so many of our cities end quote all right so let's just say roosevelt might have been right about that but folks you have to point your friends your left-wing friends over to this next time they call you some kind of a white nationalist it goes on to say this evidence-based resistance to increasing immigration contempt uh condemned countless european jews to their death it also informed the findings of the secret committee he organized as to what to do with Jewish refugees following the war. Quote, the solution, which the president endorsed, essentially is to spread the Jews thin all over the world rather than allow them to congregate anywhere in large numbers, end quote. Apparently, he hoped to improve their stock through interbreeding, as he speculated might be done to reduce warlike tendencies among the Japanese. Keep in mind, eugenics was not championed by a fringe group. It was championed by the presidents of leading universities. See, this is brilliant. Jay Green, I give you a round of applause. I don't even know this person, but I give you a round of applause because as we saw in the Wikipedia article on eugenics when I was just giving you a basic rundown of the concepts behind this ideology, they started off saying it was, you know, a fringe ideology. It is not fringe. It is not fringe today, and it was not fringe back in the late 1800s. It was championed by the presidents of leading universities, researchers at the Smithsonian, and several presidents of the United States. Jay goes on to say, I'm proud to note that my alma mater, Tufts University, never offered a course in eugenics, and a Tufts medical professor, Abraham Meyerson, was a leading critic of the idea, including in his testimony against forced sterilization of the, quote, feeble-minded, end quote. But Tufts was the exception. While more elite universities like Harvard and MIT actively pursued eugenics, only the close association between eugenics and the Nazis eventually brought the idea into disrepute. Now, what I would say there, Jay, is that we have to look at what is actually happening today. So you can't sit there and say that the Nazis tarnished the idea of eugenics and therefore it came to an end. Eugenics just moved in another direction. And instead of trying to um, sort of perfect the stock of a particular nation, through forced breeding and or forced sterilization or genocide, they 
increased their abilities in the areas of science and technology. And now they can do it in other means. All right. First off, let's just be honest here. Every needle that you take in your arm, you really don't know what it is. Let's just take COVID land, the high school theater production jab. No one really knows what that is. How do you know they're not changing your DNA to make you a better stock? How do you know they're not putting nanoparticles in your body? How do you know they're not putting graphene oxide inside of you? How do you know they're not giving you a death shot because they deemed you to be uh, a drag on society? They deemed you to be unfit. They deemed you to be undesirable. I mean, just think about the technologies we learned about from Dr. Charles Morgan III, Dr. James Giordano, and others as they lectured the West Point Military Academy, the cadets and the faculty. So think of it like this. A conspiracy theorist uh, would be called out, right? If, if, he, if, if I said to someone, well, when you go to the CVS drive through and they jab you, maybe they don't like you and they're actually going to try to kill you. Well, someone would say you're a conspiracy theorist because how the hell would they know it's me? Like if I was marked for assassination, how would they know that's me? They don't have a shot, a syringe sitting in a bag that says Dustin on it. Well, no, that's not the case. Let's say they already identified a particular gene, a particular strand of DNA that they don't like. So let's just say, because we're reading this article, let's say it's the Japanese. Say here in the territory of the United States, they decided they want to get rid of all of the Japanese. Well, they can get the DNA profile on Japanese, and that could be loaded into this syringe. And the syringe might not kill you unless you have this particular strand that they are attempting to identify. Remember, Dr. Charles Morgan III, 10-year CIA intelligence officer, and then working under government grants at a university in New Haven to track all of these technologies in the universities, in the private sector, the so-called private sector, and in the government, right? He said that they can create a disease that is targeted to kill just one person based on their DNA profile. So I told you when we covered all that back, I think that was in like episodes 40 to 50, that if they can do that, they can create something to kill a group of people who share a similar trait. Say they want to kill everyone with green eyes. So they stick everyone with a jab. And maybe that jab is just like saline solution to you and me. But if your mom or your dad or your wife or your husband has green eyes, boom, they drop dead. See, they have the ability to do this at a mass scale now. So eugenics is not what it used to be. It's not so primitive, right? We're going to take 20 little boys and 20 little girls and force them to have sex and breed. No, now they can do it through the uh, shots they give you. They can get you to do it on your own by wanting to have a designer baby. They can get you to merge with machine. There's all different ways they can do it. Now they have so many more tools at their disposal. And it, it finishes up here. Let's finish up his article. Before we turn over policymaking to the current scholars at Harvard and MIT, we might want to reflect on how wrong evidence-based policies can be. And rather than smugly asserting that past scholars were quacks, while current ones are true scientists, we might want to learn the lessons of humility that the eugenicist episode teaches. 
Let's be informed by evidence, but not be evidence based. I actually like this very much, Jay. It's very reasoned. And you thought through this stuff. And I like how you just summarized it. Uh, If I could figure out how to get a hold of you, I'd ask you to come on the show because I think you did a great job. And this was written before COVID land, the high school theater production kicked off. I think it was 2018. At least I can kind of tell from the URL where the blog is posted. So I would like to see what Jay ended up doing during COVID land, the high school theater production. Did he take everything he wrote and put it into context to that time? Did he say to himself, I don't know. I will be evidence informed, but I am not going to be evidence based. And so did Jay walk into the CVS clinic and get a jab or did he say, I don't know. I'm very familiar with the concepts of eugenics and the doctors and the scientists and the engineers alive today are the same people alive back in. They're just doing eugenics in a little bit of a different way. And so no, 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 I'm not going to take the shot. All right, folks, so I think right now you have a basic understanding of the eugenics movement, where it came from, what it grew out of, and now what we're going to start to do over the next couple of episodes is put together eugenics and technocracy and show you the overlapping characters in that world. And we're going to start to dig deeper into some of the bankers that were behind this movement and try to figure out why the bankers would be behind the movement. Because we are told that the bankers are just these evil capitalists, yet they were pushing forward Howard Scott, who was the founder and director of Technocracy Inc., that stood for ending the price system, which is capitalism, and introducing the energy system. See, the bankers don't care if we're walking around with the fiat money that they print on the machine what the bankers want is control they want control they want power don't confuse that with monopoly money because power and control are different than monopoly money you have power you have control you have wealth you have influence right so power influence and wealth Well, the wealth the bankers can always have, because if you control the monetary system, you will always be wealthy. But they are interested in total power and total control. Ladies and gentlemen, take control of your day today. Do something positive. Spend a half hour writing down some of your options, some of your goals, and start to look towards solutions to getting you to where you want to go. And where I want to go, folks, is to my editing software to finish this up, upload it, and then go pick up my wonderful, beautiful mother-in-law. Ladies and gentlemen, have a great day. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold.